to just start off by uh, giving the audience a little, a quick overview on who you are, your background, what area um, of practice you're in, um, just kind of all the above. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So uh, my, my name is Josh Lowenthal. I'm the owner, founder, shareholder of the law office of Joshua A. Lowenthal. We're a boutique tax and business law firm whose primary goal at the end of the day is to help uh, small and solo entrepreneurs build seven-figure business empires. Um, so a lot of what I do on a day-to-day -day basis is work with small business owners in uh, building, managing their hold coast uh, more than anything else. Um, that typically involves business governance, uh, tax planning, um, advice and consulting, as well as I do have some experience also on the back end of things, right? When people start to owe taxes. Uh, I also do quite a bit of tax litigation and resolution work too. Um, in terms of oh. my, uh, yeah. No, keep going. Oh, no, I, I was just going to say, so, you know, in terms of my background, kind of where I came from, uh, give you guys, you know, the full spiel, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, the full spiel here is is that uh, I started off um, in public accounting, um, mid-size and large uh, public, public accounting firms, both doing domestic M&A uh, in a transactional advisory group, uh, working with private equity, uh, all buy side, doing a lot of tax due diligence, structuring work uh, before moving over and doing a lot more international inbound cross-border M&A uh, tax reorganizations for large uh, manufacturers that had global presences. Um, before, of course, starting my own firm, kind of doing it for uh, Main Street more than anything else. Nice. Um, what was so you're at KPMG and then yep. you went on to um, what was it? I think here, I'm looking at my Clark notes here. Hill. Um, okay, right, right. Um, that's out of Detroit. Correct, correct. So I, I did spend a little bit of time at a, uh, they're, they are what we call an AMLAW 200 law firm. So qualifies as big law, um, headquartered out of Detroit offices internationally as well. Uh, and that group specifically, I was also in their tax and estate planning, um, group, uh, based out of Birmingham, Michigan. And so the work, a lot of the work I was doing there was working with business owners, um, lot of estate planning, right? So kind of tangentially related to the work that we do now. I mean, every business owner, I, I firmly believe that every business owner, as you're growing and scaling your business, really needs to also think about the estate side of things. Because for a number of reasons, number one, if you have, say, you know, one or two platform companies, you have your hold co, you're invested in a dozen other companies just through um, your let's call them alternative um, investing. If something should happen, you die. That is a mess for your family to clean up. So good estate planning allows that transition to go very smoothly and very easily for your family and loved ones. Um, in addition to that, good estate planning also, as time goes on, will allow you to mitigate any potential estate tax that might be coming down the the road um, for your family so that you can actually pass on as much wealth as possible. Um, real quick, just backing up a little bit. I'm curious. The yeah. um, I think there's a lot of talk about the, the big law experience um, on mm -hmm. Twitter, especially, but I mean, really all over the yeah. internet. And I think that's also especially true now that you have a bunch of like uh, Gen Z types, like I mean, we're all familiar. I am Gen Z, so I'm not. I'm not throwing yeah, shade no, at all. But we all see those. Uh, we all see those TikToks that are like, you know, um, all about work-life balance. Like, so what? What is like the? Um, what is that like? Big law experience like? Um, obviously, most people are never going to experience that. Um, is it? Is it really like every hour? Like you have no hour to yourself? Like. Like how much of what you read online, the horror stories, the good and the bad, like what's true, what's not? Yeah. So, I, I mean, a lot of it is going to depend. So kind, kind of like big four, right? Uh, and uh, I don't know how much of your audience is on the financial or accounting side, right? But with big four, I'll use an example of obviously there's some distinctions amongst PwC, EY, Deloitte, KPMG. But even between that, there's distinctions between what group you're in. 
whether you're in the SALT group, if you're in audit, if you're in M&A, if you're in international tax. And then we break it down even further based off of what city that you're in, right? Yeah. So certain, like, let's call it Chicago SALT group, going to be totally different than Cincinnati or New York SALT group. And depending on where you end up, your experience is going to be slightly different. Um, I would say that it's the exact same within the big law experience. So, for example, I was at a smaller law firm, still large firm. Um, I think these days there's over a thousand attorneys, but still smaller than some of your mega law firms out there. And so for me being in a smaller group, that, um, that experience was a little bit more balanced than say my, I, I, I have family who works at, um, Sidley Austin in Chicago, right? I mean, mega law firm and they work all hours of the day. I mean, I kid you not, they are up at the crack of dawn, 6 a.m. on calls and will work till 11 p.m. And then we'll be back up at, you know, 2 or 3 a.m. to get on the phone with Australia, with Hong Kong, with Beijing, because they have deals that are going on, um, which is all to say, it, there's a lot of truth to the to those horror stories. Um, but that being said. If you are in a group like tax, for example, is a little less rigorous uh, as a as a group than Got it. your corporate practice, and so it's going to balance that experience out quite yeah. a bit. Yeah. Okay. Um, what? So you set up your own shop. Um, you set up a mm -hmm. newsletter. Is that something? Is that something you always kind of knew you wanted to do at some point or was there like a mindset shift at some point that made you like okay now i need to go do my own thing like i have to do that i really want to do it or was that always a part of the plan yeah another really great question so for me it was kind of always in my blood uh, my dad was an entrepreneur my mom's an entrepreneur she's she's invested in rental residential rental real estate my dad owned his own consulting business so i kind of always knew that I wanted to start my own law firm and become my own shareholder. Uh, once I got into corporate America, that long held belief was really reaffirmed. Um, as uh, I, and I'll be honest, I, I didn't have the best experience um, in work, working in what, what I call corporate America. Right. Um, and what I came to was at the end of the day, you can control your own destiny and you can make a heck of a lot more money for and work a lot less by being an entrepreneur. And what I mean by an entrepreneur, and I want to make a quick distinction here, um, because G Gino Wickman, if you're familiar with Traction, the book, uh, talks about this a little bit. Are you familiar with Traction? I, it's one of those books that I've heard referenced many times. I've never okay. read it. Yeah, so Traction's a great book. A lot of people attribute Gino Wickman with that particular book. He's actually written a dozen other books. Um, it's a way to manage your company. Um, yeah. A, another author that kind of sits in this space is uh, Mike Michalowicz. Um, and he has a similar book, but slightly different called Run Like Clockwork. I, it's, it's operations. But why, why I'm bringing all this up is Gino Wickman talks about this distinction between being self-employed and being an entrepreneur. And he says, everybody who owns a small business can be self-employed, right? You, you can create a job for yourself and that is great. But really being an entrepreneur is getting to a point where you are creating a business that changes something within society, where you're actually employing other people, where you're growing outside of just delivering some product. And uh, I think for me, that's something I've always known I wanted to do. Yeah. Um, that's cool. What, so I guess, how do you think about, um, I guess where, where is your business today in terms of like scale? Like where do you want it to be? Um, it, when I looked online, it looked like you've been running your own shop for about three years now. Um, yeah. so what's, what's that like three year, like, cause you always see those memes on Twitter, like the first 18 months. And it's like, you know, like the first 18 months of entrepreneurship, it's a meme of someone like tripping over themselves. Like, so give us like the background on those, those first three years. 
Yeah, so it's uh, a really hard question, a really important question, too. I mean, I, I find I always look at those memes and I always chuckle because I, I think they're so accurate, right? Like the first uh, the first three years. Um, it, and sorry, can we swear? Uh, or is, of, is course. That? of course. OK, cool. So the first Absolutely. three years, like n no one knows what the fuck they're doing, right? Like, yeah, <laughs> like like you're just kind of like. You show up each day, you hope you're doing it right, and then you're just like, well, shit, that wasn't the plan. Uh, and so you're constantly going back to the drawing board and kind of figuring out, well, what is, what is the soul of this business, right? What's the vision for this business? Um, I found personally, right, as a, as a lawyer, because I'm a, a lawyer who's also an entrepreneur, right? My, my goal is to actually hire people, employ people, create jobs for others, not in addition to practicing law and providing the highest quality legal services that I can. Um, I've spent a lot of money that, you know, I just lost investment, but learned a lot in the process. So I guess the short answer to this is that the first three years is, is a bit chaotic. Um, you try a lot of things out, you work out the kinks and then you tear the whole thing down and start again because you realize that, right. well, I've kind of been going in one direction and realized eh, that this isn't the right direction to go. Uh, but now kind of, as I've gotten into 2024, um, and being, you know, if you're listening to this right now, this is where we're recording. This is the start of January, uh, or January in 2024. I, I've really started to find that direction. Um, my processes are all kind of coming together. I have, uh, as of, as of this recording, I have a contractor paralegal who works with me, um, and the year seems to be uh, starting off really, really hot, surprisingly hot. Um, so I'm, I'm excited for where this thing goes over the next, you know, 18 months. That's awesome. And do you, um, I mean, you, you've sort of answered this already indirectly. Um, yeah. But where, where, just, just so we get a more on the nose answer, where, where do you want to take it in terms of scale? Um, is there a certain place at which you would say, like, I, I don't know if it's like employee count or revenue where you would say like, you know, like I've hit my lifestyle goals. I've hit, um, my impact on society, my community goals. Um, or is it just once you're there, then you reassess and maybe you grow bigger, maybe you like scale down. Like what do you have planned in terms of scale? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm clearly going to the moon here. So that, that is the game plan, but, <laughs> yeah. uh, no, I, I mean, look for me, it's my long-term goal. doesn't have any hard numbers on it. Like I want to be able to make enough money to, uh, provide for my family so that we're living, you know, debt free in a house that we love, able to take trips that we want to that we want to take uh, well at the same time providing quality legal services and helping those entrepreneurs out there achieve their dreams and achieve whatever that goal whatever that idea of freedom is for them right because yeah. it's important to remember at least for me is my definition of freedom isn't going to be the same definition that you have for freedom and, and so i want to be able to create a space and that is able and a firm that is able to help you determine what that goal is for you and actually achieve that goal for you. Um, what that looks like for me is ideally I'd love to have a firm where I have two to three different paralegals on staff, a number of attorneys on staff, um, and really just continue to grow this thing so that I can service as many professionals and searchers and small business operators as I possibly can, because I believe in my core, I mean, by and large that the, in today's day and age, the best way to truly achieve at least financial freedom and that intergenerational wealth that we talk about, right? I mean, we talk about yeah. how millennials, Gen Z, like we're saddled with debt. We have, um, we're not going to have retirement. We're not going to have any, our prospects are horrible. It's right? very peachy out there. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's, it's rosy. And I believe that in order to actually achieve those things, which I still believe that you can do today, you do that through entrepreneurship. You do that through hold goes. 
what so is that kind of what drew you to the uh, SMB owner like Holdco client base? Yes. Yeah. A hundred percent. I mean, the more the more I worked in my past life with uh, large Fortune five hundred companies, right, and and manufacturing and some of these different industries, you realize, at least for me personally, that a lot of these guys are. I was I was watching his show recently. A lot of these guys, they're they're just suits, right? And suits are replaceable, <laughs> and that's and that's a horrible feeling. Um, and so the idea that someone can go work a job, earn a W2 income for 40 years, retire with, you know, two or 3 million in the bank in retirement, right. That they're going to live off of for the rest of their, their life. I mean, just sounds like a horrible prospect to me, um, where I I've learned and I see these stories each and every day where you go and you finance a purchase through ETA, right? Entrepreneurship through acquisition. You scale that platform company, you start doing add-ons. And all of a sudden, that dream, that 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 idea that you had where, oh, I was going to work for 40 years, well, now starts to look more like, okay, I'm going to work for maybe like 10 years yeah. or 15 years because your company is doing seven figures in, uh, of gross revenue year in, year out. Your income, well, it dips initially, grows exponentially past any of your peers who have stayed at that large company that employs hundreds of thousands, you know, hundreds of thousands of people every single year. And more importantly, because this is yours, now you have job security. You're never worried about your boss firing you for a lack of performance because you are your boss, right? Yeah. And on top of that, you're building equity in an asset. When you're done, you turn around and sell it. And so for me, it's it's that that dream is so achievable and it, it unlocks so much freedom for people who, you know, are stuck in these jobs um, for their entire careers. I mean, how many people yeah. do you do you say? Um, what what's the what's what's the term for it? It's there. There's people will say like, oh well, if if it if it's not enjoyable, then it's work or something like that, right? And it's like, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's if if you're working without passion, then it's a job or like, yeah, you hear variations on that all the time. Right, exactly. It's like no, this this shit should be fun. Like you should be enjoying totally. yourself totally. and loving like what you're doing. And and I believe that entrepreneurship, right, and hold co's and and operating a small business and, and this entire space is just so much more exciting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean you're preaching to the choir here. Um I I totally yeah. agree with all of that. <laughs> I, I'm gonna kinda sidebar here for a second. Yeah, yeah, go right ahead. I am um I mean I, I'm twenty six and I'm pretty consistently surprised by um how many of my peers colleagues whoever um how many of how many people just don't really consider don't don't consider any of like what everything you just touched on right it's just almost not a thought it's it's either not a thought or even if it is it's almost like i can't do this and um frankly and i don't mean this in any kind of a negative or disparaging way, but there are people out there that have accomplished like much without a whole hell of a lot of intellect compared to a lot of these W two folks, right? Um, yeah. I mean, that's just true. That's just true. Um, and, I hundred percent agree. And, and I see it all the time. It's like all you really need is this sort of like radical self belief, and frankly, like the willingness to like beat your head against a wall like every day. But guess what? You're going to be doing that anyways. Like that's actually what a that's what a W two job is as well. It might feel a little more comfy or secure, but you you are still going to be like dealing with problems and things that piss you off every day. Um, you may right. as well do them for yourself, right? Um, exactly. Yeah. All that to say, I'm just I'm always surprised at how many people don't consider like the whole. You know, you really do have one life. Like like my God, like. Go go find like the people you enjoy working with or the thing you enjoy doing, um, and like do it. And I don't mean that in some cliche like passion because if your passion is, there's no way it's ever going to pay for your lifestyle. Then I mean, 
it's not a chase your passion thing. It's like uh, just find what you actually do like doing, you know, and like you can make a living at that. And I'm with you. Like I, the hold co like SMB like ETA thing is very real. And um, I didn't. I, I was totally unaware of like what it was frankly until like a few months ago well i didn't understand like how much terminology there's like a whole search community there's like yeah. a whole ecosystem um obviously i knew people about businesses and uh bill holdcos but there's a huge ecosystem out there um absolutely and and what i will tack on to that because i've started to see it more and more is it's like if you can find two or three buddies I can't tell you how many times I see what, what I'll just call like micro PE, right? Two or three guys that are all friends and they kind of go in on an idea together. They grow that idea. They scale that idea. And now they put, they bring in an operation team, start have that team operate that company. And then they go and create a fund that they start investing in other businesses and the, and the thing just snowballs. And I've seen this three or four times already where it's just like literally a group of buddies that clicked really, really well. And they build these um, whole funds and family of companies together. And it's, it's yeah. they've achieved, you know, uh, business success by, by any measure. They've achieved wealth much greater than had they just stayed in a, a W-2 job, right? And a lot of times it's just by chance. But it doesn't have to be by chance. That's so true. There are there are a lot of these stories you see online where it's like uh, acquired a business and like one thing led to another. I have a hold code that does thirty mil in revenue. Like, oops! Like, and now they're being right. interviewed, and it, <laughs> and it's like that's kind of their story. Is like I didn't mean to, but like here I am. Um, I was just, you know, I, I one thing led to the next. Um, but yeah, you can absolutely do it purposefully, of course. Um, yeah, yeah. I would recommend it that way, but you know, <laughs> right, I mean, right. if you fall into it too, that's cool. Like whatever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What, what does a typical client look like in like hold co world? Are they going after the kind of like, you know, boring business, like, like that kind of catch all term for like the, I guess, blue collar world. Like, is that typically what they're doing? Yeah. So it, it really really depends. I mean, so for me, the people that I prefer working with, especially right now, just given my size, right? And I I try to be as honest about this as I can is like, ideally, my my client is kind of sitting in that half a million to $5 million gross revenue range, right? And so a lot of that are trades. So, so trades uh, and then boring businesses. I mean, think, you know, your vending machines, your laundry, um, your, your laundromats, your yeah. grocery, you know, um, grocery stores, things, things of that nature, because that's, that's kind of in that perfect sweet spot. Um, if you're kind of bigger than that 5 million, 10 million, if we need to, um, it's really pushing the limit of what I can handle right now. And so at that point, I'm going to hand you off. Um, yeah. SaaS as well. I mean, we see a lot of SaaS. Um, so service as a software. Um, and we see a lot of guys there too. You know, one of the things I, I just, this is probably super obvious to yeah plenty of people that are listening, but for whatever reason, I, I only just thought about it. Um, which is that, you know, I mean, your clients will scale over the course of your career, right? I mean, that's Correct. a huge advantage to this, this, particular model that you have um is there there are inevitably clients you have today that their hold co their their single business whatever it is is doing a mill in revenue and they will some of them will eventually get to 15 25 really like whatever they're i do think part of this is almost just like how big is your ambition and like what do you want in terms of like lifestyle because some people like they just want to hit a certain number clear a certain number net profit and live a certain lifestyle. And some people like the game is the point. Right. And that's, and that's a really great point. And the answer is yes. I mean, that is my goal. So just like 
an estate planner and I'm going to, I used to do some estate planning, which is why I'm holding it up as an example here. But a lot of estate planners are like, look, I want this to be a lifelong relationship. You start with me now and we work together over the next 40 years as your family grows and changes. Um, people come in, people die, um, new family members are born. And it's the same with businesses too. And hold goes really, I want to start with somebody who you are, starting that first business right now, or you've bought that first platform and your plan is to grow that over the next five, 10, 15 years. And I'm here to be with you every step of the way, literally from the birth of your company through the death of your company, right? When you, when you exit. Um, and I, I think you also bring up a really interesting point that it, a lot of where you go with this thing depends on what your ambitions are. There's plenty of people that will happily, happily live off of, you know, mid six figure income. And yeah. it doesn't take a lot when, when you when you actually look at the numbers, it does not take a lot to get there. And that in most places in America affords you a very, very comfortable uh, standard of living. I mean, even look at like where I live right now in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. The current median income is $70,000. And so if you're earning low to mid six figures, I mean, you're living like a, you know, king or queen here. Um, you're literally right. living like royalty. Um, at the same time, there's some people exactly as you said, I mean, that the point of it is the game. At that point, yeah. shoot for the moon, my friend. Like, just let, yeah. let, let's just scale this thing. Yeah, no, that's, um, there's a lot there. I, yeah, I grew up in Arkansas, like I told you before we started recording. So, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, you see it all the time, like, um, you know, like whether it's like a wealthy farmer or somebody that made their money off of like Walmart stock or whatever. Um, I mean, it is like, you just, in most places in America, it doesn't take that much you know there's so much chatter online today about like how bad it is and like whether it's sort of like the populist left right like and i don't even mean this in an overly political sense it's just it is a lot of what you see in the discourse out there is it's either inflation or it's the american dream is dead um it, i definitely think it's changed i mean we, we effectively like touched on that at the beginning like the idea of a career-long w-2 that um and you're gonna get like a a really fair and attractive like 401k matching plan a lot of that is changed if not complete it's if, it, if it's not dead already um yeah so the way you go after it's changed but also i talk with this uh i talk to friends about this often like um people are never like satisfied with their raises and like you see it like because I'm, I'm like i said i'm 26 now right so like i've been in my career long enough now to where I've seen people get multiple raises, uh, multiple promotions, and it's never, it's really never enough. Um, so part of it is almost like, <laughs> I don't mean this in like a change your expectations, like want less out of life. It's not that, but A, you kind of have to figure out how to be happy by yourself first. Um, right. And then, and then B, frankly, uh, if you make a half a million dollars a year, or 800k or whatever like you've decided to um to shoot for in like your first one or two business acquisitions whatever it is you're going after um you can you can basically double that by moving uh to most places in america um and i'm speaking for myself now getting the hell out of washington dc <laughs> so yeah and look i i i so i i will tell you i'm somebody who travels a lot Right. I mean, yeah. me and my family, we we love traveling. And so moving to a I, I originally was in, you know, I was in Indiana. I was in Detroit. Right. I was within an hour of a major international airport. I could be anywhere in the world within 24 hours. Yeah. And a lot of people thought, hey, you're moving to a small town. Is that going to be harder to travel? And the answer is no, it, it really isn't. So if travel is your thing, guess what? You can get on a plane. It takes me a little over an hour to get to my local regional airport and I can, I route through a major airport, you know, DC, Reagan, Atlanta, Chicago, what you name it. And it's really not that difficult. And oftentimes the flight cost of flights are not that more. Um, 
And and so it I, I say all this because it's it's that I'm getting the benefit of the cost of living, but I'm making just as much, if not more, than I was when I was living in like a large city. And so I'm really getting a pay bump as a result. And I, I think you're spot on there. And what you lose, I mean, it's not what you lose in some of the um, if we call it culture, if we call it, you know, food and cuisine or whatever, I mean, it's not hard to find a lot of that nearby. And every place you move to has its own unique flavor that, that is exciting. It just takes searching out. It's just not necessarily like right in your face. Yeah. I, um, one of my good, really, I mean, lifelong good friends, uh, we had this talk recently where, yeah, we were just kind of talking very similarly to how we, you and I are now. And it was just about like, do you want to live in like a city long term? What are the upsides, downsides, more rural, whatever. Um, and one thing that came up is like, well, I mean, I would say that the biggest thing I've got out of living here is the connections that you get in a place like Washington, D.C. But then I see people online all the time, especially on Twitter, um, who live in the middle of nowhere on their farm, whatever it is. And honestly, like they could fly to New York and be more well connected than people who live there um, full time just because they they've built like such an interesting little like group of people or like a, like a small, small by like, you know, I guess like big Instagram page standards or whatever, but yeah. um, big in terms of like it's real life impact on them. Right. Like you see it all the time on Twitter where somebody with like 10,000 followers tweets out, I'm going to be in XYZ city. And then they've got like three or four lunches with people. Right. And there are for sure, people like that that are actually more well-connected than people that say I'm living here or there because of proximity or whatever. Like actually that is one of the major things inarguably like that the internet has completely changed is like your, your full time need to be there. If you're willing to put in the work online. Yeah. Well, and I think that's the key, right? I mean, if you're willing to put in the work online, there are say what you want about, you know, some of the founders or Elon Musk or whatever, but there's a lot of value still in Twitter. There's a lot of value in LinkedIn. And if you can go and find those communities, the SMB community on Twitter is the place to be, in my opinion, yeah. without a doubt. And so exactly to your point, like you build real connections with real people all over the world, right? And all over the US. And so if you're willing to put in the time and, and energy it takes and connect with people on a genuine level, Right. Not just this. Um, if you're, you're not just being salesy about it. Right. But I actually want to know who you are. You're going to develop networks in major cities that in a way that if you just lived in that city, you still wouldn't have because you're not putting in the time and energy to build that network there. Yeah. Um, going to something a little more boring. OK. <laughs> What, Why not? what what do you yeah i mean i i feel like i have to ask this because now it's going to be it's going to mm -hmm. be sticking in the back of my mind if i don't um with your client base what is because i mean we've we've referenced the smb like hold co community online several times now um and i one thing i always saw was like like somebody selling a drop shipping course or like a like an agency course or whatever um i did not realize like how big um the smb eta world on the internet was until relatively recently um so i guess since you see like people doing like really doing this in real life um this is their job this is their career um is this becoming like more trendy like like, is there an element of this that's starting to get a little bit like bullshit? You know what I mean? Yeah. The, I mean, candidly, I think there is, right? I mean, okay. when you get into these types of industries, uh, and let's call it the SMB community as a whole, it's important to be mindful of who you're trying to work with, without a doubt, right? Because, and particularly, particularly there's a lot of these coaches out there that are going to try and sell you, you know, this 10 day masterclass on, you know, buying a whole co or even, even Cody Sanchez these days. And I, I respect a lot of what Cody has done. And I think she does a great job, right? Without a doubt. 
and she has helped popularize this idea of boring businesses and really teaching people how to go in and acquire these businesses. Um, but even some of her stuff, she's grown to a point now where I, I question how much value it provides to people. And so, yeah. yes, I think over the past three years, we have seen a rise of terms like SMB, terms like ETA, and it, it is picking up steam. Um, I was just watching a, another attorney on Twitter. He's recently started visiting college campuses because business schools are have ETA clubs because people are getting interested in this. I was talking to another yep. buddy of mine who is, does commercial real estate out on the west uh, out on the west coast, and he the went to a very 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 good business school, you know, top five business school in the country. And he said that the average um, MBA that was in his program just wants to go and buy a business now. So it is. It, it absolutely is getting trendy. Um, yeah. That's good and bad because basically it means that you as a searcher, you as someone who's looking to be engaged in this community, really has to make sure that you're sifting through a lot of the bullshit that's out there. Of people just trying to sell you stuff to make a profit. What do you think that it means in terms of actually buying a business? Because I've heard people say like a, a version of, well, more people are searching, but at the end of the day, there's only a certain number of people that will ever like pull the trigger. And they like, frankly, are going to like sign up for that, that play. Yeah. So, I, I mean, it's... It's funny because we, we, we talk about this just so casually, right? And within our communities, I think SBA or SMB, um, ETA, obviously now are very much buzzwords. They're very hot. They're getting trendy. But when really we have to take a step back and look at the bigger picture. And in my opinion, if you, if you do that, your average business owner down the road, right? The guy who runs the heating and cooling HVAC company, he's never heard of ETA. He doesn't care. He just wants to sell his business. Um, same with, you know, the restaurant or, you know, the beauty parlor or whatever it is. So I, I think really your question's more about human nature than anything. And, and that I is absolutely true. And what I mean by this is that it's human nature to want to plan to have these big ideas. And there's typically such a small percentage of us that move from that idea phase or searcher phase to actually pull the trigger on this of like, okay, I'm, I'm going to do this. And that's every business model. Like every always. business model. Yeah. I, I don't care what industry you're in. I don't care what you're doing. Go talk. How many times have you just sat there and talked with your friends and been like, oh, yeah, we should go buy like this kind of business or set up this kind of space or buy this kind of, you know, um, real estate. And you talk about it. You maybe start to look into it a little bit. And then at the end of the day, you never actually pull the trigger on it. Yeah. And, and, and yeah, my question totally. is, why? why? Why don't you? I think most, you know, I, this is I'm totally derailing us again but no good i like no, I, no. I, I like i, li I, li I like um, going off the rails good good um happy to hear it I, <laughs> I think most people you know they haven't made i came to this realization that and part of it is my background and what i what i was and was not good at in school um but i kind of realized at a certain point like actually it's far more risky to like stay on the path hey josh are you with me yeah, I'm with you here. Well, sorry about that. Oh no, all good, all good. Do I do agree with you though? I mean, where where you left off is it's it's all about um, how the tr quote unquote right air quotes traditional path is is risky, right, and more risky than than ETA. And yeah, I, I just all you have to do is look at the data to to realize how true that is, right? I mean, how many? I recently I had family family that was affected by the Amazon cuts, yeah. right? And so Amazon just cut like a, a portion of their workforce. And my family member was, not only was she excelling at Amazon, she was promoted within the past two months, got a pay raise and a title upgrade. And both her, 
her boss and her boss's boss all got all got axed because at the end of the day your amazons your walmarts your apples your googles your um ubisofts your i mean cisco's they don't care about the average employee they don't care about the department what they're looking at is how do they provide the most revenue and value for their shareholders yeah and when we think about it from a corporate law perspective the role of a corporation, the role of a limited liability company that, that is publicly traded on the NICE, on the S&P 500, whatever, right, is how do we maximize value for our shareholders? And if that means cutting an employee loose, they will happily do it. Doesn't matter how yeah. good that employee is. And so do you want to deal with that kind of risk day in, day out? Yeah, no, totally. What legal... With your client base, what are the things like? All right, I have a question. So if yeah. if there's um, a a business owner that's doing like a million in revenue, um, and they're like, okay, like I'm gonna go do acquisition number two or three, um, I should get like a, a a legit attorney that's like gonna be with me for the long run. I'm gonna build a hold co. Um, how stitched together are those businesses in terms of like their like legally, like in terms of like the tax benefits? Uh, like what's typical and like, what exactly are you, you changing? And I guess, I guess kind of what I'm just asking plainly is like, what are the legal and tax benefits of a hold co-structure? <laughs> like it might sound basic, but yeah, yeah like, what exactly is it? like, why do people like structure it a certain way? It, it's a, it's a good question. And it's important to remember that there's a number of different reasons why you would structure a hold co. Um, and there's multiple different types of structures, right? Um, so before I get too far into, it, I want to make sure to be, be clear, uh, nothing I'm saying creates the attorney client privilege, right? This is not legally binding, um, legal advice. Uh, this is purely for education. So go talk to your provider or come talk to me, right? But all for education purposes. Uh, the primary benefits are at the end of the day, there's, there's a couple different ways to set up your hold cup. Uh, sometimes we do it for efficiency purposes. So good example, let's call Berkshire Hathaway um, is kind of our prime example. And, and Berkshire sets up their company and families of companies by industry. So uh, sometimes it's energy or, um, you know, manufacturing or um, technology, right? And so when you are building a holding company, you'll want to set it up based off of industry because legally it just makes things clean and easy. Um, when it's set up based off of your industry, as you have management that comes in and actually runs each of those portfolio businesses, because you as the owner should not, you, you just don't physically have time. You can create teams that will manage three or four businesses underneath. And so that's one way to set up a hold cove, if that if you're following what I'm saying here. Um, a, another way to do it is to actually diversify and build out protections for your variety of businesses. So say you're doing some kind of manufacturing. Um, what we will do, and, and you have this innovative process for making, um, I, I don't know, let's say you have an innovative process for making paper. I don't know. Use a wild example here. Uh, you have the manufacturing facility. You may own one of the verticals that's actually cutting the timber and bringing that in. You're going to have the manufacturing process of how we're doing the, how we're creating the special treatment for this paper that's unique from all other paper. And so, and you're going to have a company that's actually going to own the underlying real estate, both the underlying timber and the underlying manufacturing facility. And you want all of those in their own, own companies. Well, the second you do that, now you have a hold co again, because you need one company that owns three or four entities underneath. And the reason why we do this is to separate out liability. So that's reason number one. Right. And okay. what I mean by that is that I don't want my manufacturing company that has employees that is actually selling to vendors 
to also own the real estate. Because if an employee gets injured, if an employee turns around and sues the company for discrimination or some kind of financial malfeasance or something like that, yeah. the only thing that they can actually go ahead and file a lawsuit and claim against is what's ever in that operating company. It protects okay. the building and the um, it protects the the building because the building's in its own company. Yeah, yeah. And so that gets into that that uh, legal liability shield. Yeah. The other benefits of why we do some of the structuring here is twofold. Number one, with a holding company, you can. Um, Diversify some of your risk, which makes you a better um, potential um, to be a debtor, right? If you're going to a bank and you want the bank to lend you money. Well, if I'm in a high risk industry, a bank may be a lot less likely or want much worse rates or offer me much worse rates to give me capital. But if instead they know that they're lending to the holding company who can move that money around however they want... Well, they know that the risk is diversified. They know that they're actually going to get their money back. And so they're going to offer you better terms. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. In, in, in addition to that, so some of the other benefits are um, there are certain real estate deductions and things like that that you're going to get by having companies laid out. So uh, you often we often hear the term of like a triple net lease. And so if I have a building set up and I have a company, an operating company set up, but they're both owned by me. Well, I'm just going to pay rent over to my uh, real estate company. And so I'm getting a deduction for rent, but I'm also still making money. Yeah. There's so much more there. I mean, there's so much more there than I would have, I guess, initially get, um, yeah, thought about. Because in my head, it's just like, oh, taxes, like legal protection. Um, but ultimately, like you are shielding yourself from like, not just kind of big macro like liability, but like very specific things um, as it relates to like employee contracts um, or privileges, rights, whatever, or like what's going on with your real estate, how that's going to be taxed or what kind of deductions you can get. So you're getting like, you're effectively, you're getting like very granular, like across every little like detail of all the different businesses. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And okay. it, it really depends on how you want to set it up. And there's a variety of benefits for one structure versus another structure. And as a lawyer, I'm always going to tell you, and it's a terrible joke, but I'm always going to say it depends, right? Like right. your yeah. situation is going to be different than the guy, the, the S and B operator to your left and the S and B operator to your right. Yeah. And so I need, we as lawyers, like to get into the details. We like being a little obtuse, which I get is frustrating, but we do it because we've seen so many problems over the years. Yeah. And so we want to make sure that you don't get, you don't lose your shirt like our last client. We're never going to tell you yeah. that, but <laughs> right. But, but, but right, right. we learned last time or we had some guy who came to us and yeah. was like, Hey, this is what happened. And we're like, Oh yeah, that's good. I'll make a mental note of that. All right, Will, let's make sure we don't do this. Okay, so I guess real quickly, a few things. Um, one, let's just start here. What are you seeing with your client base? Um, what are the changes you're seeing like in M&A or the trends? Like, Are private equity companies coming further down the the EBITDA scale? Are they starting to look at like, you know, 600, 700K? Are you seeing some of that in EBITDA? Or, and then also like maybe industry trends, like what's... What's trendy to buy right now? Like what's all of a sudden not trendy to buy? Like, yeah, what's happening right now? Yeah. So, I, I mean, I won't, I won't speak much in terms of, of trends, right? I mean, some have said that SaaS is really starting to slow down. I, I'm not necessarily seeing that. I mean, there's still like a lot of people that are out there buying SaaS uh, and investing in tech uh, out on the West Coast. Um, but people say boring businesses are, are the way to go, right? Go buy your, you know... Uh, laundromat go buy your car wash um I, I don't know i think it just kind of all ebbs and flows uh what i have seen and i'm starting to see though is a lot of private equity 
that is making this push from middle market to lower middle market. And so, right, middle market's kind of a, a loose term that describes deals from whatever it is, like 10 million to half, you know, half a billion dollars. So it's like, it's a huge range. Um, yeah, yeah. But definitely starting to see more private equity pushing into the lower middle market. Um, companies kind of doing that like million plus uh, in gross revenue, um, not necessarily EBITDA. And, and the reason being is that you have less sophisticated sellers with less sophisticated sell teams. And so it offers the opportunity for more um, innovative structuring of the purchase and financing of the purchase. And so we're seeing a lot okay. of add-ons, a lot of roll-ups uh, is yeah. a lot of what I've seen. And in talking to colleagues too, right? I mean, that that's kind of what they're seeing uh, as as well here. Um, just because that that's where that's where deals are are really going to be had. You know, in the middle market, things are pretty solidified. Like private equity knows what they're doing. They have their financial due diligence teams. They have their tax due diligence teams. It is literally just a matter of do the numbers work or not. And both sides know what they're doing. Um, it's a lot more fun, a little bit more of the Wild West and kind of that lower middle market. Um, yeah. Um, well, since we're coming up on time here, there's, a, there's so many more questions that could be asked. Um, yeah, for but, another time. <laughs> yeah. I, I always end with this like very cliche uh, question, but I think it's a good question. Um, is there any... A kind of general or specific life advice or career advice you would give to your younger self um, if they were listening? Yeah. It's, so the cliche answer I, I will give back is I wish I would have started earlier. I, everybody thinks, and, and myself as well, I mean, we're so trained to think, oh, well, I need to go in and learn how the companies, you know, the big guys or the big dogs do it. And you put in your time, you cut your teeth at your large law firm, your large accounting firm, iBanking, politics, like whatever. And thinking that, oh, well, once I learn how to do it, then I'll be able to go out and do it on my own. And the reality is, the older I get, the more I realize, number one, nobody has any idea what they're doing anyways. And you're going to learn so much on the fly and from talking to other good people. And you're going to find those mentors that you're better to get started earlier because you will be that much farther along today if you do. Yeah, that's a great place to end. Um, thank you, Josh. I really appreciate your time today. And I, I like genuinely really enjoyed the, uh, the conversation. It was a good time. Yeah, likewise, Will. likewise. And you know, for anybody who's looking to come find me as well, um, yeah, I'm all over social media, um, the, the Twitter, LinkedIn, just Google Joshua Lowenthal, uh, or yeah, it's, it's my Twitter handles at Joshua Lowenthal. My LinkedIn is J Lowenthal. Uh, so come find me, uh, website is Joshua Lowenthal.com. I uh, would love to work with anybody, um, or at a minimum, um, have a conversation with you, see what I can do to help you more than anything else. Perfect. And we'll put all that in the chat.